Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. Continue our series of lessons that we've been looking at for the last several, several weeks, looking chronologically at the life of Jesus Christ, the most influential life that's ever walked the face of the earth. And I want to start with this question that I already know the answer to, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Wouldn't it be great if there were an undo button for life? Right? So that when you said that thing that you really shouldn't have said, that you could just hit boop, and then, you know, it would all be taken back, and it would be gone. Wouldn't it be awesome uh, if there was an undo button? I've said this before, you know, I love to play golf, and wouldn't it be great if you got a mulligan in life, right? Uh, One of those redos that you get for free, it doesn't even cost you a stroke. Wouldn't it be great if we could turn back time after doing something we wish we hadn't? Sadly, Uh, You know the answer is we cannot. One author said it this way, and I thought this was really good. He said, the arrow of time points in one direction. And that's right. The arrow of time only points in one direction. Maybe this is why we love the movies that, 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 you know, Back to the Future, right? Where you can go back in time in a time machine and you can change things, right? Maybe this is why we love those kind of movies because we wish we could do some things over, but... The arrow of time points in one direction. What's done is done. Some things in life are irreversible. You can't unbake the burnt cookies. You cannot uncut the hair that your child took when he did the scissors. And you, and you can't unsend sent emails. And if you, if you this morning have been on the receiving end of divorce papers, if you've received that frantic call in the middle of the night, If you've gotten the lab results from your doctor that affirms your worst fears, then you know that feeling all too well. And I have to believe that that is how Mary and Martha felt. Their brother Lazarus was gone. He was dead and he was gone for good. And their lives as they knew them were over. John chapter 11 is where we have the true story of Lazarus. His death and the events that surround that death are found in verses 1 through 44 of John chapter 11. We're not going to read all of that. We don't have time to do that. And there is so much in this story that it's hard to know even where to begin. And so bear with me a little bit this morning as we do a little bit of jumping around in this true story. And can I say again that this is a true story? And the first thing that I want you to notice is what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 11. When word comes, when word comes to him that Lazarus is sick, I want you to notice the interaction between Jesus and his guys beginning in verse 10 of John chapter 11. Here's what happens. He says, if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, Jesus says, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe 
but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I want to focus in on Jesus' statement that he makes to his disciples when he says, for your sake, I'm glad we weren't there. For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why, why does Jesus say this? to his guys. I mean, if your friend is on his deathbed and you have the ability to heal him, I mean, don't you drop everything at that moment and get to your friend as quickly as you can? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus stays put for two days and then he appears to take his own sweet time getting to the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Why? Why does he do this? And when Jesus does finally get there, it seems that Mary and Martha are a bit passive-aggressive with him. I don't know if you read it that way, uh, but that's how I read it. They both say the same thing to him, right? Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Now, they're separated, they're not together, but obviously they had been talking about this instance, or they wouldn't have said the exact same thing to him. So they've been talking with one another, where's Jesus? Why isn't he here? If he was here, this wouldn't have happened. And then when Jesus shows up, they both say the same thing to him. Now, they aren't blaming Jesus, but they are. They're not, but, but they are. Have you ever had one of those moments with God? Can we be honest with each other this morning? And we don't blame him for the bad things that happen, but, but we do. Oh, we don't blame him for the bad things that happen, but we know that he could have kept them from happening, right? And so we ask the question, why? Why don't you do something about it? And, and I just want to suggest to you that here's something that I see with Lazarus that maybe will help us as we struggle through with what we struggle through. You see, Jesus could have walked across the water. He could have arrived in the nick of time. He could have healed Lazarus as he was drawing his last breath. He could have done that if he so desired. But Jesus had already revealed to the people his healing power. Jesus had already revealed his healing power, and now it was time for him to unveil something else, something even greater than healing power. It was time for him to unveil resurrection power. And so he says, I'm glad that I wasn't there because I want to give you something more than you have currently. Now, you can't resurrect something that hasn't died and so Jesus waits a little bit longer to reveal more of his power. And I think there are times, I'm not going to say it every time, but there are times when he does the same thing with us. And so maybe today, if you feel like you are in a holding pattern with God or in a holding pattern in your life, it may be, perhaps, I'm not saying it happens every time, but perhaps God is getting ready to do something more in your life than you have previously experienced. Can we at least say that's a possibility, that that's an option, that our God is is so big and so mighty and so holy that he may be waiting to do something even better that you haven't experienced in your life. You see, if he simply had healed Lazarus, I'm sure there would have been those who would have praised God, and I'm sure there would have been skeptics who said, yeah, he wasn't really sick to begin with. But when someone has been dead for four days, there's only one logical the theological explanation to his healing and to his raising, and that is God moved. 
God moved in a miracle. If Jesus had simply healed Lazarus, it would have reinforced the faith they already had. But Jesus wanted to stretch their faith to new heights. And in order to do that, sometimes things are going to get worse before they get better. And I know you don't want to hear that as you deal with what you're dealing with in your own life, but that is the reality. Sometimes God wants to stretch us and grow our faith. Look at this as well. Back in John chapter 11, verses 21 and 22, we mentioned it earlier, but I want to, want to say this again. Martha, as she interacts with Jesus, says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then she says something else. Look at verse 22. She says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What does she mean by that? I don't know about you, but it looks to me like even now, Martha is holding on to hope that Jesus can do something about this situation. And Martha, at this moment, is not speaking from a place of grief. She is speaking from a place of faith. Can we be honest? Faith sometimes looks like it's out of touch with reality. Right? Faith sometimes looks like it's out of touch with reality, but that is because it is in touch with the reality that is more real than anything you can see or hear or taste or smell or touch with your five senses. Faith is a sixth sense, if you will. And if you are in touch with God, sometimes it's going to appear like you're out of touch with reality. Right? Because you're going to believe in something that other people don't understand. You're going you're gonna to trust in someone that, that, that people just don't quite understand or grasp. When you are in touch with God, it's going to appear sometimes as if you are out of touch with reality. And Lazarus' death was supposed to be a period at the end of the sentence. But Martha, speaking through faith, doesn't put a period there. She inserts a comma at the end of that death sentence. She says, even now, even at this moment, even four days after my brother has died, even now, you can do something. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And I love that phrase, even now. Even when it seems like God is four days late, Martha is saying, Jesus is saying, it's too early to give up. It's too soon to give up. Even when it seems like your dream is dead and buried, he says, don't you put a period there. And what we see in this section of Scripture are really two types of faith, right? The first half that we read about in verse 21 is what one author, scholar that I read calls preventative faith. And a lot of us have preventative faith. Martha says, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened, right? Preventative faith believes that God can keep certain things from happening in our life. And you have that faith, is my guess. That's why we pray for traveling mercies and traveling graces. That's why we pray for that, I've always never understood this one, that hedge of protection. I'm not sure what a hedge is going to protect, but okay. And we pray for that sometimes too, right? And so that's preventative faith. We, we pray, and there's nothing wrong with that, praying those preventative prayers. But there's another dimension of faith that we see in verse 22. It's another dimension of faith that believes that God can actually undo what has been done. 
We call that resurrection faith. And I just want to ask, do you have resurrection faith this morning? Do you believe that God can actually undo some things that have been done? You see, resurrection faith refuses to put a period at the end of our disappointments because we believe that God can make the impossible possible. So when the application is denied or the adoption falls through or the business goes bankrupt, you don't put a period there. No, you believe that even then, even then, you believe even now, God will give Jesus, whatever he asks. Jesus then says to Martha something amazingly profound. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. It is that unique claim that sets Jesus apart from every other religious leader that's ever walked the face of the earth. It is that claim that puts him in a category by himself. He is the resurrection and the life. You see, Christianity is not built on the foundation of a philosophy. It's not built on some foundation or or a code of ethics. No, the footer of our faith is on one fundamental fact, and that is that Jesus is the resurrection and life. He is uh, the, the God of the empty tomb. And so after cheating death by calling Lazarus out of the tomb, we know not too long from now, Jesus himself is going to walk out of his own tomb under his own power. And that is the ultimate apologetic. There is no argument against an empty tomb. There is no argument against it. You see, if the resurrection didn't happen, Christianity ranks as history's cruelest, cruelest hoax. And we are not just wasting our lives worshiping him. We are living a lie. But if Jesus walked out of that tomb 2,000 years ago, then all bets are off. Or maybe, maybe I should say it this way, then all bets are on Jesus. The fundamental fact of our faith is the empty tomb. Either Jesus is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. And so which is it for you? And and answering that question, making that decision, that one decision will determine your eternal destiny. That one decision will determine your eternal destiny. But that's not all that Jesus says to Martha, right? He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he follows that up by asking her a question. Do you believe this, right? That's what comes next in the text. Do you believe this? You see, it's important to note that Jesus has still at this moment not raised Lazarus from the dead yet when he asked her that question. Martha is still in mourning. She is still in despair Her hope had been dead for four days. But Martha still responds to Jesus' question by saying, Yes. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. Hear me this morning. One little yes can change your life. One little yes can change your life. Eternity. And so the question, the only question on God's final exam, I know some of you college kids are heading back to take your final, there's only one question on God's final exam, and it's do you believe this? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life? It's not a multiple choice question. It's true or false, and it's the most important question you will ever answer. We'll talk about that more in just a second. Now, 
get a little fired up this morning. Whew, I might have to take this jacket off. It was customary in ancient Israel to bury someone on the day of their death. In fact, in a lot of uh, foreign countries around this world, that is still the case. We don't often do that. We wait a few days before that happens. But in Israel, in places like that, they would bury them on the day of their death. And after the death, the Talmud prescribes seven days of deep mourning for the death of the loved one and 30 days of what is called light mourning And so Jesus shows up in the middle of the deepest sorrow and he he enters into it with them. John 11, 35. That verse you memorized when your Bible school teacher said, you can pick any verse, but I need you to memorize one. You went to the shortest verse in the whole Bible, John 11, 35. Jesus wept. And even though it's one of the shortest verses in the Bible, this verse speaks volumes. And to be honest, I'm not sure that our English translations capture the full effect of what's going on here in John 11. Because the force of the Greek verb tense suggests that Jesus didn't just begin to lightly weep. No, Jesus burst into tears. This is no measured response that Jesus is making it. I think the way we would say it is that Jesus lost it. In that moment, Jesus lost it. And it reveals to us how much he loved Lazarus, but it reveals to us something else. It reveals to us a God who is willing to enter into our pain. It's a God who's willing to shed tears. And the scripture says that he doesn't just cry over us. The scriptures say that God, do you know this, actually collects our tears in him his bottle. It's a great passage, Psalm chapter 56, verse 8. This may be one you want to put on your, on your screen at work, on your computer. This may be one you want to put around your house. If you're in the middle of some things that you're going through, listen to this verse. You keep track of all of my sorrows. How many of the sorrows does he keep track of? All of them. You've collected all of my tears in your Bible bottle You have recorded each one in your book. What a verse. You see, your tears are precious to God. Whether they're tears of joy or tears of sorrow or tears of pain, not one of those tears is lost on God. And if you've ever endured the type of loss that Martha and Mary experienced, you know that there are times that you just need a shoulder to cry on. And I'm grateful for friends like that. Friends that are there when everybody else has gone, when everybody else has walked away, and Jesus is that friend for you. But sometimes, more than just a listening ear and a shoulder to cry on, you need a God who can do something. You need a friend who can do something about your situation. And I want to suggest to you that that's Jesus too. He's not just the one that weeps with you, that walks with you, that stays with you in the middle of whatever it is that you're facing. He's the one that can do something about your situation. And in this passage, Jesus doesn't just get sad. The Son of Man gets angry. God gets mad. You see, death was never a part of God's original plan. Death is the fallout from the fall. And Jesus is good and angry because death has stolen his friend. And so Jesus steps up and he steps in and he says, I'm stealing him back. I'm stealing him back. Jesus showed up four days late, but he showed off his power in a way no one had witnessed before. He had reversed diseases. He had changed weather systems. 
But here Jesus goes toe-to-toe with death, and death lost. Death met its match. And to fully appreciate this miracle, I think it helps to understand a little bit more about Jewish burial tradition. So thankful uh, for Patrick as he was up here last uh, Sunday for communion talk, talking uh, about the spices and all that happened around Jesus' uh, burial. But I want you to think about this as well. When Lazarus died, his feet would have been bound at the ankles and his arms would have been tied to his body with linen straps. And then his dead body would have been wrapped in a significant amount of what is called grave clothes to attempt to protect and preserve the body as much as possible. And some scholars believe that the head covering itself would have been about a foot wide. (laughs) Think about that. So the best mental image is probably one that immediately comes to mind. The mummy. Not the Tom Cruise version. I'm talking about the Brendan Fraser version of the mummy. Right? That, that's probably the image that pops into our head. And so in some ways, Jesus is actually doing two miracles here. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and the second was getting Lazarus out of this full body cast because that's what it is. And it's very likely Lazarus didn't just walk out of this tomb. It's very likely that he hopped out of this tomb. John eleven forty four, the man who had died came out. His hand and feet were bound with linen strips and his faith was wrapped in a cloth. This is probably how he came out. Maybe he started a new dance phrase. I don't know. Do the Lazarus. <laughs> what a spectacle. What a spectacle that must have been. But here's the point. This miracle doesn't just foreshadow Jesus' resurrection. It foreshadows yours. And it foreshadows mine. This is not just something Jesus did for Lazarus. It's something that he's going to do for us later. And it's a snapshot of what he wants to do in your life right now. Because here's what happens. When we sin, when we go in direct opposition to the ways of God, it's like the enemy wraps our souls in grave clothes. And sin begins to bury us alive. And we become a shell of who who we were meant to be. And I just want you to know right now, Jesus is calling you out of that tomb. That tomb, that dark, that pit, that despair, that sin. He is calling you out. He's calling you by name, just like he called out Lazarus. And I'm just wondering, can you hear him this morning? He's calling you out of your sin. He's calling you out of death. He's calling you out of whatever it is your tomb is. So listen, our true life, true living begins, our second life begins, if you will, when Jesus calls us out of that tomb of sin and we respond to him in obedient faith. Now we know our eternal life begins when this body is finally buried in the grave, right? But our true life begins when he calls us out of sin and we respond to his call and become his follower. Death is an exit all of us must pay. But but listen, death is an entrance ramp to eternity. That's what it is. If you've read the Bible from cover to cover, then you suffer from what I'm going to call hindsight bias. You know what hindsight bias is? You know how the story ends. 
And when you know how the story ends, it's hard to imagine any other outcome. You lose the element of surprise. And I think what happens is, we talked about this in our college class, you often lose the raw emotion of the moment because we know how the story ends. And so, if you can, I don't think you can really, but if you can, or at least I want you to try, I want you to try to forget how the story ends, even though we've been talking about it the whole time. Try to forget how the story ends. And I want you to try to put yourself in this crowd as Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus and he cries out to a dead body. Try to put yourself there. You don't know how the story ends. And you are there and you hear Jesus say, Lazarus, come out. You hear the words come out of his mouth. But if you were there and you didn't know how this story ended, you would not, you would not, you would not have believed your ears. I mean, who talks to dead people as if they can hear you? Who has the audacity to demand that the grave give up the dead? The resurrection not of Lazarus, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ is again the axis on which our faith revolves. And when Jesus walked out of the tomb under his own power, the word impossible was removed from our vocabulary. The resurrection is the history changer. The resurrection is the game changer. And the trick for us is learning to live as if Jesus was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and he's coming back tomorrow. That's how we need to live our lives. And so the resurrection is not something we celebrate once a year at Easter time. It's something that we should be celebrating every single day in every possible way. This is who we are. We worship a God who has the audacity to say to the grave, give up your dead, and they listen. God is still in the resurrection business. Resurrection miracles are still happening. God raises dead dreams back to life. He resurrects dead relationships. And no matter what part of your personality has died at the hands of sin or suffering or Satan himself, Jesus has come to give you your life back. He is a resurrecting God. No one laughed or smiled the day Lazarus died. But when he walked out of the tomb, no one could stop. And this miracle with Lazarus is really a snapshot of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Jesus steals back what the enemy has stolen and when Jesus died on the cross, Satan smiled, but Jesus got the last laugh. He always does. And here's the thing, and I really want you to get this today. There are some of you sitting here today that need to hear this, that need to know this. There are some of you watching online. I want you to know this. If you will give Jesus a chance, he will give you a second chance. 
If you will give him a chance, he will give you a second chance. He can give you your smile back. He can give you your laugh back. He can give you your life back. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? One little yes can change your life. One little yes can change your eternal destiny. One little yes can make the impossible possible. So if you'll give him a chance, he'll give you a second chance. And so I'm just wondering, you need a second chance this morning? You're in the right place. You've come to the one who gives them freely. And it's not just second chances. It's third chances and fourth chances and tenth chances and hundred chances. As long as the breath of life is in your body, if you will trust in Jesus, you have a chance. A second chance, another chance to do it right, to get it right. And even when you don't get it right, if you trust and follow Jesus all the days of your life, he will, he will step in and be everything that you need and more. Give him a chance. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.